Welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is Adam. I'm the lead communicator around here. If it's your first time, welcome. We're excited that you're here. Um, I understand there was a little bit of a shower on the way in, so if you got caught in that, it's too bad. I do apologize. It only lasted for about two seconds, but I heard it was brutal. Anyway, we are deep in the middle of this eight-week series called Revolutionary, and Revolutionary was the only phrase, only term that we could come up with or that we could actually have that we thought would describe this revolutionary radical message that Jesus gave one time. And that message that he gave was called the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you might have heard of it before. If you haven't, this was a message that we kind of think Jesus gave over a number of days and weeks even possibly, and it was kind of pieced together. It wasn't necessarily given over one sitting. There was so much in it. And there was this guy, Jesus, and we believe Jesus is who he said that he is. And Jesus said that he would die and rise again three days later, proving to us that he was God, and he did. So therefore, we want to take a, list, or take a look at what he said and take it so seriously as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. It was also said that Jesus gave this message on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. So if you want to do something more, maybe during the week, you can go ahead and Google that and check out where that is and see kind of the location of where we think that he actually gave this amazing message called the Sermon on the Mount. But we're doing this for eight weeks because, as I said, there's so much stuff in here. So every week we're just going to kind of start with a review and just kind of looking at where we've already been. And if you've missed a couple of weeks or you want to catch up, you can do so on our website and listen to the audio under the media section. But the first week, we actually talked about these things called Beatitudes, these supreme blessings of God. And if you did this or acted like this or had traits like this, that you would be blessed by God. You would receive these supreme blessings from God. Your life would be blessed. Furthermore, we differentiated between success and what success was and blessings because a lot of times people confuse the two. And we said you should be successful if that's what you want to do. And make as much money as you can. Be successful. Just don't confuse it with the actual blessings of God. And we talked about Beatitudes. And week two, we talked about salt and light. We looked at these two simple things, salt and light. And Jesus said to the people he was talking to, when you're followers of mine, you are the salt of the earth. And then you are the light of of the world, the light of a dark, broken world, right? And salt, we talked about, was this huge natural ingredient that was so important to the people of the time. Therefore, followers of Jesus are so important to the earth, so important to humanity, so important to the future. We talked about salt and light. And then last week, we talked about murder. We talked about murder because Jesus compared murder to anger. And he said, if you are angry, it's kind of like doing this. That's how severe of an emotion anger is. And then we talked about a really difficult topic of adultery. And we talked about what that was like. And if you've experienced that or you've been a victim of that or maybe you did that to someone else, you know that this is a horrific thing to go through and be a part of. And Jesus just warned against it so strongly because of the impact that it would have on your life and on your future and the future of others. And then we talked about eye for an eye last week, about the old way, the law. The old law said that if you... Puncture my eye, I can do the same to you, and I can get back exactly what you've done to me, I can do the same to you. And Jesus said, no, no, no longer. He said, now we're going to operate with a system of sacrifice. If you want to slap one cheek, I'll give you the other one too. Radical, revolutionary stuff that Jesus said during this Sermon on the Mount. 
But before we dive into today and what today is, because I will tell you, of all of the things that we've said so far, I believe today to be the most powerful. As we were working through this this week, again, because we wrote it months ago and kind of went back and looked at it, I believe that today is extremely the most powerful thing that we will say, or at least have said up to this point, based on what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we go into that, I have a couple of questions for you, or just maybe one question, and maybe you can help me to see if this is true, or maybe you can check me on this later if you see me downstairs saying hey to people. Because in my day-to-day life, in my experience, I don't know if you feel the same thing I do or you encounter the same thing that I do, but I encounter in my day-to-day life a lot of angry people. As you're out just doing stuff, do you ever just feel like that everybody's angry? Like, I don't know what happened, but it just seems like everybody has a beef with everybody and the world. Let me give you, let me give you a couple of examples, okay? See if, you can, see if this is just me or if you understand this as well. And these are just generalities. They're not everybody, but I think that it might work for this scenario and what we're talking about. Here we go. People who work at the Department of Motor Vehicles, the DMV, I can't understand this, but it would appear that anyone working the counter there struggles with an anger issue. And it might be because they're understaffed based on, you know, whatever budget they have from the government or they have to take those little tickets. You know, you go in there and you get a ticket. And by the time you leave the DMV, you're angry too. It's happened to every one of us. It's not just them. It's you as well, right? It's being a little, you're number four, and then it takes an hour and a half, right? But speaking of the tickets, just check me on this. See if, see if there's anybody else. Anybody who works at the Publix Deli, I feel, is also struggling with this. Have you seen this? Because I, I don't know, I mean, and this is a generalization, not everybody, but I love a public sub, right? I love me some public subs. Those chicken tender subs, how do they do it? But I've never, like, gone to a Publix Deli and had someone be like, man, I'm so good to see you today. I would be, it would be my pleasure to make your sub. I don't, if that's happened to you, I want to know about it, because that is, that does not happen to me, and I want to, like, reach out to people, and I'm like, how, is there anything we can do, right? Anyone in politics is just always angry, and we don't talk about politics here, so we're not getting into anything, but whether it's right, left, up, down, Green Party, Libertarian, Republican, Democrat, everybody's mad. Everybody's really mad on Facebook about it, too. If you're scrolling through people's feeds, you're, like, unfollowing people, because people are just mad, right? Here's... Old white men, like I don't know why, but they're like, they're mad because like kids are playing on their lawn and you know, they're just like, they, they can't keep up with technology and like everybody, like, there's, there's angry people, right? I don't know if you've seen this, but my mom, right? She is, my aunt, right? My sister, my grandmother, my great aunt's daughter. I'm just kidding, okay? I'm not my family's going to listen to this and write me nasty emails. But for whatever reason, you've probably seen this. People in your family are just mad. They're just struggling with things. Parking attendance at churches, right? Other than here, because they're rock stars out there, right? They're, they're cool guys. But I've worked at you know, churches my entire adult life. And let me tell you who are angry people that I've encountered. Parking attendance at churches. And do you know why they're generally angry? I met some guy. And he came in from this parking lot. He was volunteering, and he was all mad. I was like, why are you upset, sir? He goes, someone just gave me the finger in the church parking lot. I was like, they did not. He's like, yeah, they did. I was like, so we had every, and they were angry. Like, everybody's angry, right? Two more. Check this out. You've seen this. Toll booth workers. I don't, like, I don't know why it is, right? But I was in Greenville, South Carolina recently, and I'm like, there was this, the only toll road in South Carolina, and it was a dollar, I do not carry cash. So I go up to this woman who was already very unhappy. She was angry. 
And I said, I don't have any cash. Do you guys take credit cards? And she said, can't you read the sign? I said, oh, right, okay, there's a sign, no credit card. So what am I supposed to do? She basically, very bluntly, very monotonous, said, well, that'll be a $50 fine if you go through here. I said, 50 bucks? It's only a dollar. She goes, I'm sorry, sir. Well, I stayed there long enough. The guy behind me was so irritated and angry, too, that he finally paid the toll for me. It was a buck. I moved on, right? Here's the last one. Tell me if you've seen this. And God bless these people because they must deal with so much, and it's just not a good thing, and it's hard, but... The Transportation and Security Administration, the TSA at the airport. Have you seen this, right? Every time, I, and I travel a lot, every time I've approached the TSA counter, there is someone there, and this is, this is, there's not even a greeting. There's not even a hello. It's just this. And they write on my boarding pass, and it's like I'm going to see my cardiologist. Like, I don't know what they're writing. Have you seen that? They're just scribbling on it. And like, I don't know what it looks like, my cardiologist's signature. And sure enough, the only joy I've ever seen in a TSA person is when my dog travels with me, and she's extremely sweet. I have to take her out to go through security, and there might be like a crack of a smile, like every now and then, right? Dogs. But here's what I'm saying. And by the way, these are meant to be funny. These are just generalities. These are meant to you know, kind of get some humor rolling this morning. But I started to look at all these people. I started to think, there's a lot of people who are angry out there. It's not just me. You guys are smiling because you've experienced the same thing. And furthermore, maybe you're angry a lot. Maybe you deal with anger and you struggle with that based on circumstances in your own life. But I looked at all of the people that I just mentioned in a general way, and I said, what is the common denominator amongst this bunch? What is the common denominator that kind of angers people or provokes anger in people? What is the thing that everybody has in common? And I think I figured it out. And I think I figured it out. And I don't know if it's actual or if it's just kind of perceived. But I think that these people that I've mentioned, and when I deal with anger or you deal with anger towards someone in a circumstance, I feel like we have these things that all these people have. Here they are. Enemies. I feel like these people who are angry and us when we're angry, we kind of think, or maybe it's an actuality, that we have enemies in our lives, people who have wronged us, people who have done something to us, that these things that we kind of interact with that create anger, these other individuals, we think are our enemies. And this is not like a Hatfield-McCoy kind of thing where like there's this arch rivals from the, from the beginning of time and they're always going to be enemies. This is just day-to-day -day people, people who you've seen who you don't want to interact with or who have upset you. Furthermore, I actually wanted to like look at the definition of an enemy. What is an enemy defined in the most simplest English forms? And here, here's what I did. So I defined it. And I found that there were a number of different definitions that described an enemy. And maybe you can actually... Put this into like practice and reality in your own life. Here's the first one. It says, someone who hates another. Someone who attacks or tries to harm another. We could probably all agree this constitutes an enemy in your life. Maybe it's a little thing. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe it's a, you know, something that's blown out of proportion. Doesn't matter. Someone who hates another. Someone who attacks or tries to harm another. It's an enemy. Furthermore, something that harms or threatens someone or something, something or something that harms or threatens someone or something, 
And then, not only is this just kind of a personal thing that happens to each one of us in our own lives, but it could also be almost like we have enemies in the world. It's not just something that personally happened to us, but maybe it's a patriotic thing or it's a country thing. Then it says, a group of people, such as a nation, against whom another group is fighting a war. Right? So enemies, which cause anger, can be big. They can be small, minuscule, but an enemy is someone who is trying to harm or do something to you, perceived reality. Additionally, a lot of times we just create enemies when something happens to us, but people don't become your enemies solely when they do something directly to you. Let me explain. Let's say something happens to someone you love. Let's say it's your child. Let's say it's your sibling. And they are hurt, harmed, disrespected. They are the one abused. And therefore, you have anger toward this person who did this on someone else's behalf. It's not even on behalf of you. So therefore, they become your enemies. So when we have enemies, and that's a strong, powerful word, but I challenge you to think about it differently than you ever have before, because we tend to like, think that enemies are these extreme entities fighting for a lifelong like, you know, drama scene together. And you all, it's like, it's like I do, have day-to-day kind of enemy things that we deal with in our lives related to people. So I have a question, and here it is. What is the normal human emotional response to these people. You have an enemy in your life. What is the normal human emotional response to these people? I've come up with three. One of them we already talked about, and these are just normal. These are natural reactions, things that we just do naturally. The first one is this. It's anger. We tend to get angry, don't we? Just like all of the folks that I described before. We just feel like we have enemies, so what do we do? We just kind of respond with anger. We're unhappy about it. We, are, we lash out, and Jesus, if you remember what I just said when I started the message, Jesus compared this powerful emotion to murder in the Sermon on the Mount. He compared anger to murder. That's how powerful that emotion is. Do you know why? Because anger leads to something. Anger, when not dealt with, anger can actually lead to something. Anger leads to hate. So therefore, the normal human emotional reactions to our enemies are anger, and then anger turns into hate. Furthermore, after that, things happen that are really negative, that aren't good, because after we get angry and then we develop hate, so often we seek something against one of our enemies, someone who has wronged us, someone who has wronged someone that we care about, we seek revenge. We get angry. We let hate develop. And then we tend to seek revenge. Here's what I want you to know. This is extremely dangerous, and it's extremely powerful, and it is a huge problem for the way that we deal with things. This is a monster issue. Should we respond like this? Anger, hatred, and then revenge. And this type of response has done something. I'm going to go back in history because this applies 
to our personal lives. It applies to the way we view the world. It applies in all those ways. And there's tension here, so I don't want you to miss the tension today because it's so kind of exciting what we're going to talk about at the end. When these things happen, this type of response has led the world into its current state. These type of responses have led our culture, society as we know it, not only our country, but the world into its current kind of state of turmoil, anger, hatred, and revenge. But the truth is, the fact of the matter is, every single person in this room, myself included, and we're working through this together, that's why we're here at Downtown Harbor Church, but every single person in this room, if you were to be honest with yourself, you have an enemy. You do. Whether they're a big, large issue in your life, or it's a coworker who didn't get or who got what you thought you deserved. And all of a sudden, there's, there's, there's all these kinds of scenarios in our life. And this type of response has led us to our current state in the world, but this is what's so cool. Jesus talked about enemies. He talked about enemies during the Sermon on the Mount in a powerful, aggressive, and radical way. Remember, the people that he was talking to 2,000 years ago were probably just a gathering of ancient Jewish people who were used to the old way, the way of the law. And oh boy, did they have enemies. The scripture kind of goes through all of the enemies that they had throughout their kind of creation and inception, right? And therefore, Jesus talked about enemies during the Sermon on the Mount. And he had something so radical, so powerful, so life-changing so community-changing, so world-changing to say. Because related to enemies, he said, love your enemies. And it was so different than anything that they had ever heard before. A people who have a broad history of dealing with their enemies. Jesus said, go, 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 and love your enemies. If you have a scripture with you, you could turn to Matthew chapter 5, or you can look at it on your mobile device. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, we're going to start there in a sermon on the mount based on what he said, and of course, it will always be on all of our screens in the room. In Matthew chapter 5, he said this, he said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Pretty simple. Love those who love me, my neighbors and my enemies, those who are different than me, those who have wronged me. Hate your enemies. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. That's it, status quo. But as always, Jesus flips the lid on everything humanity and culture had ever seen. Because he says then, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and you will be called children of your Father in heaven. But wait a second. What about the people who did me wrong? What about the people who are evil? What about the people who are mistreating the ones that I love? What about them? Who's going to deal with them? Isn't that my responsibility to deal with them? Isn't that my responsibility to make it right? That's what I would be thinking if I were sitting there listening to this. I can only imagine, because I wasn't there and none of you were there, there had to have been some hands that went up at that point. Excuse me, hold on. But Jesus went on, and he said, 
He causes, talking about the Father in heaven, God, this supreme being that is bigger than we could ever understand or imagine. He said he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Meaning God is big enough to handle anything that comes your way and that he will eventually deal with in some way that we can't even necessarily grasp as human beings. He will deal with the evil of this world. And then Jesus said, hey, by the way, those of you who don't get this, those of you who don't understand about loving your enemies, let me, you object, let me give you a little bit for you. This is what he said. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? The tax collectors of the time were considered to be the lowest form of humanity in their society. They would rip people off and steal from people. And they were viewed as people who were on the outside of everything. So Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. You want to you balk at this? Aren't, aren't even those people doing that? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? The lowest form of humanity in your culture? They're already doing that. Are you not better than them? See, because here's what I believe he was saying, and this is so important for us to get. If you only love those who love you, if you only love those who love you, let me take it a step further. If you love those who are only like you, you are missing out. You're missing out. Adam, what am I missing out on? If I only love those who, who love me, what am I missing out on? We always try to bring it back to the practical here at Downtown Harbor Church. And I talked when I started and two weeks ago about this idea of salt and light. And Jesus said, when you believe that I am who I say that I am, and then you go do what I tell you to do, you are the salt of the earth. You know what you're missing out on if you don't do this? You miss out on being the salt of the earth. This earth, this world needs you. It needs Jesus followers. It needs people who are going to go do what he said to do. You're missing out on being the salt of the earth. And you're missing out on being the light of the world. Because Jesus said, those of you who are followers of mine and you go out and you do what I tell you to do, you are a light in a dark, broken world. You are a light to this world that needs you so desperately. So you don't want to love people who are different than you? Hmm, you're missing out. Oh boy, are you missing out. And then he goes on. He says this. He said, how about this? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? You know why this made me so sad when I read it? Because I believe with every fiber of my being that these words are alive and they're true and us as the local church need to take them seriously and we need to be that salt and light to our community that needs it so bad. And when I read this, I said, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? You know what this reminded me of? My experience with the local church. And it made me again, and I keep, I've said this. You guys have been here, have heard this. If you're new, I say this. This just broke me. It made me so sad that there were people out there who felt like they couldn't engage with this message of Jesus. That's why we opened our doors as wide as we could. 
and said, come on in. Let's do this together, no matter where you're at. And then he said something which was nearly impossible. But he always said impossible things when he gave his messages. He said this. He said, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfect. We can't be perfect. That's impossible. Yeah, it is impossible for us to be perfect. But let me tell you what I believe Jesus is doing when he says things like this. Jesus is calling his followers to a higher standard. Jesus is calling his followers to a higher standard of life so that you could be salt and light to a world that needs his message of restoration and hope and redemption and love that is just unending forever. Jesus is calling his followers to a higher standard. And you know what a higher standard is? Figuring out how to love your enemies. Figuring out how to love people and to show love to people who have done you wrong. Figuring out how to love people who are different than you. That is a higher standard that Jesus is calling us to. But there's some tension there, isn't there? There's tension because... What we've just described is not easy. And if you think in your own mind right now about someone in your life that you would consider an enemy, my initial response would be no way. I've been wronged. I've been hurt. There have been things that have done that should have never been done. There's no way I can get here. But Jesus said, love your enemies. He's calling us to a higher standard. He's calling us to a higher standard of life, away from anger and hate and revenge. He's calling us to something far bigger and far different. But let me talk about the tension. Adam, I'm asking myself this question because I do that sometimes. I said, he said, are you saying that I should just be a doormat to my life and let whoever wants to walk all over me? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, I put this up here so you could understand, this is just me saying it, right? Not the position of the church, this is just me in my opinion. I'm not saying that you shouldn't defend yourself. If you are attacked emotionally, physically, I'm not saying that you should not defend yourself against an enemy. I'm just saying that Jesus is calling you to a higher standard. Are you saying that there's evil in the world? No. I'm not saying that there's not evil in the world. There is some of the most horrific evil things that we have ever seen happen, happen in our time right now. And it goes back thousands of years too. We just know about it more. I'm not saying there's not evil in the world. There's horrific evil in the world. All I'm saying to you is Jesus is calling his followers to a higher standard. And that's where the tension comes in. That's where the tension comes in for us to be salt and light to our communities and life. Yet understand that there is tension here because there is evil in this world and there are people who do bad, nasty, awful things. I'm not saying that you should let your family suffer if something horrific were to happen. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that Jesus is calling his followers to a higher standard. And so in your own personal journey, you need to seek God for what that looks like when you deal with your enemies, knowing the purest form of anything is when Jesus said, love your enemies. Now, how do you do that? What does that look like for you in your own life? 
A couple of things. Maybe it's time for you to reach your hand across the table to someone and to calmly have self-control and have a discussion about an issue that has been brewing for a long time. And it may even end like this. I don't know if we're ever going to agree on this. I don't know if we're ever going to get to the same page. But I have love in my heart for you. For some of you, maybe it's about extending forgiveness to someone who you've been holding out on for a long time. And that's hard. There's tension. Maybe, maybe in your life, it's about asking for forgiveness for something that you did that you know you need to ask for. See, because at the end of the day, when Jesus said this, here's who he's talking to. He's talking to you, the individual. He's talking about your own heart. He's talking about you doing whatever you can do to make it right. You're not going to change cultures by just doing one thing at a time. You're not going to go and like make the world a completely different place overnight. But here's the truth. When you look at you and you do this first, the world changes one person at a time. The world changes one life at a time and one heart at a time. Affecting this community and culture in a way that we could never ask for or imagine. My goodness, there's so much at stake. We tend to go, no, I'm going rep- to respond with anger and hate and revenge. And that leads us to where we're at today in culture. The exact thing that our human instinct tells us to do, anger, hate, and revenge. Well, I'll tell you this. And I believe this with all my heart. Jesus teaches us to do the exact opposite of our human instinct. Jesus teaches us to do the exact opposite of what is inside of us. Because we are in a broken world. A fallen world. Where these anger and hatred and revenge emotions creep into our lives. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Too much is at stake. Too much is on the line. You should be the people inside the walls of the local church, followers of mine, that people outside, they look to and they go, look at how good those people love. Look at how quick those people forgive. Look how great those marriages are. Look how much those people love each other. The exact opposite of our human instinct. But you know what? It's what breaks my heart. Culture. Culture hijacked love and took Jesus out of it. Because for too long, the local church just responded to our human instinct. They didn't listen to what Jesus called us to do. This is what we have to do. The exact opposite. And so whatever that looks like in your life, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, whatever that looks like for you, I will tell you this. Figure out how to love your enemies. And your life will be different. And people will wonder why you're so different. And you will experience peace and joy and restoration because you do the exact opposite. What's inside of us? Let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are and this message that you just so clearly lay out what we should do. And God, I just pray that you would bless us as we process it. Help us to understand it. Help us to respond how you need us to respond as a community of people here at Downtown Harbor Church. People that are together in this 
responding to situations with love. Because, you, and, and God, forgive us, forgive the church who've said, ah, that's impossible. But Jesus, with you, nothing is possible. So help each one of us in this place today to do this. Help each one of us to seek out who and what we need to seek out. And we pray this all today in Jesus' name.